Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price. I'm a medical oncologist at the Ottawa Hospital and immediate past president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series, I'll be interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, and some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country and indeed in the world to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Lung Cancer Voices podcast. We are recording this in mid-June, just a few days after the ASCO annual conference. ASCO is the American Society of Clinical Oncology, and the annual meeting is is the biggest cancer conference in the world uh, annually, and it's where a lot of the latest uh, research is is presented. And so I'm um, really happy to introduce you to my colleagues um, from different parts of Ontario, Dr. Andrea Fung, who's an assistant professor at Queen's University and a thoracic medical oncologist at the Kingston General Hospital, and Dr. Shaquille Kassam, who is a community medical oncologist at the Stronach Regional Cancer Center in Southlake. And the three of us were, I guess, lucky enough or brave enough maybe to go back to conferences in person, which was lovely. So we're now going to dive into what happened in the lung cancer world from ASCO. So Andrea, Shaquille, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thank you. And my pleasure. And uh, Andrea, I'm going to come to you first. So what, we'll, what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Andrea and Shaquille for their, their number one lung cancer piece of research that they took away from this that we, we should all be looking out for. And then, and then we'll do a second round and then see where we are for time. So Andrea, so yeah, welcome again. What was the most exciting lung cancer, lung cancer presentation that you saw this year? I mean, I, it was great being back in person, absolutely. Uh, it's been a long time since we've had the chance to all meet uh, together face-to-face, so that was wonderful. I think for me, uh, a couple of things that stood out really were particularly in the non-small cell, uh, advanced non-small cell uh, lung cancer population, just some early studies looking at new targeted therapies for patients that have specific mutations that are found in their cancers. In particular, there was a a trial looking at a a mutation called the KRAS mutation, and KRAS mutations can be found actually in a number of non-small cell lung cancer patients up to 30%. But there's one in particular now that we actually do have a targeted therapy for, and it's a KRAS G12C mutation. And there was some data from the CRYSTAL trial that was presented looking at a new targeted agent specifically directed at this KRAS G12C mutation. And I think the early data was, was quite interesting. So just before we get into that, that data, Andrea, the, the KRAS G12C, so quite common, like you said, is it routinely now identifiable for lung cancer patients in Canada? 
Oh, that's a great question. Yes. So we're, we're quite lucky, actually. Over the years, our ability to test for these mutations or changes in the genes has really improved. And I think incorporation of these tests routinely into clinical practice has really expanded and become routine and reflexive. And so at most centers now, uh, we are able to get this KRAS mutation testing and in particular, now that we have these targeted therapies, I think it's it's more important that we do look for these mutations right. um, early on. So you get that in all your patients in Kingston, this test? We do. Yeah, we're very lucky here in Kingston. We have reflex um, testing, looking for a number of gene mutations, and the KRAS mutation right. is included what, in that panel. What, and what does that mean, reflex testing? Great, uh, great question. Yeah, so essentially when a patient has that initial diagnosis of lung cancer, the pathologist, the specialist that actually is making that diagnosis will just send off the sample for this mutation testing without an oncologist needing to request it again. Okay. And, and Shaquille, in, in, in uh, community oncology, can I, before we get back to the study itself, is, is it standard for you as well? Yeah, we're very lucky as well. I think a lot of us are getting the reflex testing. There's a little bit more of a complexity on ours because, you know, the tumor has to be sent out. We don't do the testing in-house. So that adds a little bit of time. And I think with COVID, there's been delays in terms of getting our results back. But yes, we are getting that result uh, with KRAS, with uh, other hotspot gene mutations or other, you know, mutations that drive cancer. So it's good to have, uh, and hopefully we'll have drug soon as well yeah. to help target those. Yeah, and then people listening might want to know that Lung Cancer Canada has been sort of advocating for molecular testing for all lung cancer patients across the country, uh, not just those in a, in a you know, big academic center, but in you know, wherever you are, that's good to hear that we're all getting it. And Ontario as a province last year, I think announced $750, I think, per person for, for this kind of testing to be done. Anyway, Andrea, so back to you. So that you mentioned, so the study is called the CRYSTAL study and the drug, I think you said, well, I mean, uh, Adagrasib. Adagrasib. Okay. <laughs> These names are sometimes hard to pronounce, but it's uh, Adagrasib and it's an oral agent. So a pill that that's taken twice daily. And really this study, it's an early, an early phase study and it was looking in a population, looking at the ability of this new drug to shrink cancer or have a response in terms of tumor shrinkage right. in a population of patients that had been previously treated with standard regimens like chemotherapy or immunotherapy. Right. Um, so it would be later, later lines of treatment that, uh, that um, were included in this study in particular. And really their main outcome or the main study goal was to see if there was a reasonable amount of tumor shrinkage with this new targeted therapy. And um, they were able to show that about just over 40% of patients got some shrinkage of their tumor, which we call a response to the treatment. And I think overall was generally reasonably well tolerated with some side effects like GI side effects, um, nausea, diarrhea um, being the most common. The nausea and, and the diarrhea and those side effects, were they serious? Were they uh, like, were people like, did it take people out of action or, or were they mild kind of? More yeah. Yeah. Great question. I think. And... 
majority of the patients had manageable side effects. So not the severe side effects that would lead to hospitalization. But there were a, a subset of, of patients, typically less than 5%, that were getting severe side effects that would result in kind of more aggressive treatment or hospitalization or whatnot. So it was quite rare that, that we saw these severe side effects, overall quite manageable. Now, when you said, you know, the response rate, so just over 40% of people had this tumor shrinkage, does that mean that in 60% of people, it just flat out didn't work and the cancer kept growing? Or do you see where I'm going with this question? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, No, that's a great question. So 40, just over 40% had some shrinkage of the tumor. And then there was another subset of, of patients, another, I believe it was about almost close to 50% that actually had their cancer stay stable, meaning okay. no further growth or spread of their cancer. So overall, in terms of, you know, control of cancer, that was well over 80, 85% in yeah. terms of at least getting some control. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think sometimes it's interesting the numbers that we we use because forty percent is that sort of really good amount of shrinkage that we're confident in. But for a lot of people with maybe their cancer's been growing and on their previous treatment to just stop it in its tracks is uh, there's a good outcome too. Absolutely. Does, does this? So let's say we take this. Uh, I'm an optimist, so that's why I'm going with a high number. So let's take the eighty percent of control rate shrinkage or or stabilization is that can you put that in context for for us is that something which is good or if it sounds good is it is 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 it good or is it is it like eh, you know we can do something else (laughs) no absolutely um it it definitely is promising when we can and, and I just want to highlight that this wasn't a comparison trial. So, right. I mean, obviously this, this medication wasn't compared to our standard of care. And I think those trials are ongoing right. uh, to really confirm whether there's benefit compared to a standard of care treatment. But when we look at previous studies or historical studies in terms of our chemotherapies that we use in second or third line or beyond something like docetaxel, for example, you know, the responses in, in that situation in terms of actually getting tumor shrinkage was around maybe about 10% or so. So, you know, in comparison, and obviously there will be another proportion of patients with stable disease, but when we make that comparison to historical studies in terms of what else is out there for treatment of, of this population of patients, this is quite promising. Right. Yeah. And And hopefully better tolerated too, actually. I mean, that's the pill. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, just in the interest of the time, I think we'll, we'll move on. So that's something that people should be looking out for is one, if you're a patient or a family member listening to this, you know, ask your oncologist, have you checked for a KRAS mutation? Because that's important to know. And then if, 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 if your cancer does have one of these, then there are drugs now that, are going through the regulatory system. So not easily uh, just, uh, they're not publicly reimbursed yet, but they're going to work their way through. So Adagrasib is the one from ASCO. All right, well, let's switch gears. Shaquille, I'm going to come to you. And, and I think you're going to, you're going to talk more about immunotherapy and which has been like this big advance for us in the last five to seven years, I, I suppose. 
but now there's a whole lot of efforts to try and take the benefits of immunotherapy and make them even better. Totally. And I think it's amazing how we're getting to that point, right? Like I was at a conference just last week after ASCO where one of the speakers was from the United States and they came in and they said, well, immunotherapy, you know, we're, we're, we're beyond that now, you know, single agent immunotherapy or immunotherapy plus chemotherapy, that's old news. So it, it's interesting how so much molecular knowledge has gone into understanding how we can make what we already have better. And I think one of the more important studies that came out was uh, this uh, one that's called TACTI-02, or 002, which is a, a, a trial to try to make immunotherapy better. And it's amazing I know how much we're starting to understand or know about immunotherapy and how it controls cancer. And not only that, how to harness that to make our treatments more effective. So. I mean, there was lots of stuff at ASCO, wasn't there, about this concept that you're describing about how to make immunotherapy better by, and often it was by adding additional immunotherapy drugs, so having two different types of immunotherapy. So what, what was that was what TACTI-002 tried to do. Maybe you Correct. could just flesh that out a bit. Definitely. So, you know, the way that it works is that, you know, we think that uh, in, the way that immunotherapy works is that uh, it allows the immune system to work to kill cancer when it isn't working anymore. And so we think that the patients who actually develop cancer, they may have an immune system that is not competent enough to fight off the cancer. So the first generation of immunotherapies were trying to sort of take off the brakes on the tumors as it were, to try to let the immune system work as it should. I think as we're learning more, it's realizing and we're realizing that there's actually many more breaks that are applied at different levels of the immune response. And you know, the way that immunotherapy works is that we're supposed to detect abnormal looking cells. And this new medication called eftiligamod, eftiligamod oh my goodness, uh, it's difficult to pronounce, alpha, uh, is a, a medication that actually does that. So what it actually does is it allows the immune system to be better at detecting potential cancer cells. And, you know, the, the cancer cells give off clues into the body for our immune system to pick up on. But it's possible that maybe our immune systems are not good enough at picking up those clues. And so this drug, otherwise called FD, is supposed to sort of boost that. Now, the immunotherapies that we've used before, they're actually used at trying to make uh, an immune system work better. But this one is actually trying to make it detect cancer cells better. And what this trial did was it was an early phase trial, kind of like what Andrea's trial was. So there was no comparator arm, but they took the regular immunotherapy that we use, uh, pembrolizumab, and they added on this new medication called FT-alpha. And the hope is, is that if we can help our immune system detect cancer better, and at the same time, make it kill cancer cells better by giving the pembrolizumab, we should have better outcomes. They didn't compare this to any other drug combination. You know, right now what we do for this type of cancer is we give either immunotherapy alone or pembrolizumab by itself, or we give chemotherapy plus immunotherapy. This was not compared to anything, but they said, you know what, let's take a look and see what the 
what the standard is, what our response rates are, what are the likelihood of us shrinking the tumor, and let's see if this combination beats that. And sort of not comparing it directly, but trying to say, are the numbers a little bit better? And in fact, I would say that they didn't really find that the numbers were better. However, as we discussed in our last um, uh, session that Andrea just uh, uh, described to us, this is not a chemotherapy including regimen. These are two immunotherapies that are used to try to make our immune systems kill off the cancer better. And in fact, I think what the data does show is that it is possible for us to use immunotherapy plus another type of immunotherapy and get similar outcomes. And so they noticed that if they gave patients with all types of cancer who had not previously had any kind of treatment for their cancer, and they gave them both of these treatments. One of them is an injection that you get below the skin, and the other one is you get an injection in the vein. The patients who actually got this treatment, their tumors shrank by about 37% or so. The patients whose cancer stayed stable or shrank, which is probably the more important number as we were talking before, was on the order of about 73, 75%. So nothing to sneeze at. And I would say this data is actually comparable to what we're doing right now. Again, understanding that we're not giving chemotherapy with this regimen. So I think this is giving us another option for treatment for patients without using chemotherapy. Right. Yeah, I, I was quite impressed by this. I was in this session too, uh, Shaquille, and I think there's a lot of these drugs now in development, aren't there? And so again, for people listening, it is worthwhile uh, if you're interested in taking part in research studies to really, you know, look at these options of these dual or double immunotherapy type type approaches. And this TACTI002 is, is, is targeting part of the immune system called uh, LAG3, LAG3. And we're going to be looking at opening a, a LAG3 drug study in Ottawa. I think many places are. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting because LAG3, they've studied it in skin cancer and have shown efficacy combining, combining chemotherapy plus this. Now, this drug, this LAG3 medication works differently than other LAG3 uh, medications that we use. But that being said, I think the, the, the premise is, is trying to make our immunotherapies more effective. And I think this drug, FT, alpha has actually been studied in breast cancer and also in other tumor types. And I agree 100%. The only way that we can progress science and increase patient survival is through clinical trials. So uh, kudos to you guys for opening a trial like this. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, we, we tried to do our best. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, now just to bring us back to earth with a bit of a bump, Andrea, one of the other studies that stood out to you, which stood out to me and, and was one of the big plenary sessions. And for those of you who can imagine going to these conferences, the McCormick Center in Chicago is this huge convention center. And there are maybe up to 50,000 delegates at this conference. Maybe this year was slightly less as people came back from COVID, but still probably 35,000 people. Some of the, the, the lecture halls are like aircraft hangars. They're, they're massive. And the study, I think, Andrea, you're going to tell us about was in one of these massive aircraft hangars, again, with the idea of adding two immunotherapies, but this time didn't work so well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there was a lot of interest in how this study was going to play out. So very similar to what Shaquille was, was talking about earlier, I think immunotherapy 
has really found its way into our treatment, not only in lung cancer, but a lot of different tumor sites. It's a very exciting field. And I think we're still learning and trying to understand what, how can we target or, or, or change or augment the immune system to try and help us fight cancer. And there's different pathways, different targets that, that are being looked at. So in this trial, the Skyscraper 02 trial, it was actually a study uh, involving extensive stage small cell lung cancer patients, so advanced small cell lung cancer patients who had not been treated previously for their cancer. And they, it was a phase three study, so a later or phase study that was now looking at adding a new immunotherapy agent called tergolimab, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, adding this new immunotherapy agent to our standard of care. So the standard of care in, in extensive stage small cell lung cancer currently being a combination of two chemotherapy drugs, a platinum carboplatin plus a top side and uh, an immunotherapy agent. In this study, they used atezolizumab, which is a PDL1 inhibitor. And so they use that standard backbone chemotherapy plus atezolizumab immunotherapy. And then in one arm, they added the tergolimab, this extra immunotherapy agent um, targeting something called TIGIT, T-I-G-I-T. And then they compared it to the other arm, which those patients received a placebo instead of tergolimab. The hope, I mean, the, the outcome that they were really looking at was whether or not there was an improvement in survival. So overall survival, but also something we call progression-free survival, or meaning the time that a patient's alive without their cancer progressing. And so those were the outcomes that they looked at. And unfortunately, really, we didn't see any difference between the, the two different groups. There did not seem to be any improvement in progression-free survival or overall survival with the addition of this new immunotherapy agent. Yeah, it was really disappointing, wasn't it? We, yes. And I, I think the, the, uh, the guy who presented it, Dr. Chuck Rudin, uh, who's pretty well known in, in, in the small cell lung cancer world, he, he didn't pull any punches. Uh, in his conclusion, he said this is a flat out negative, negative study. It looks like it didn't harm people and it didn't cause problems, which is a risk, isn't it? In a research study that you add a new drug and it maybe it doesn't work but maybe it causes additional side effects and i guess it didn't it didn't seem to hurt people but really disappointing that it didn't help absolutely yeah i think in terms of side effects it was you know mainly a little bit more rash and and itchiness of the skin that they noticed with that additional combination but like you said no big safety concerns yeah. Which right. was reassuring, yeah. And so I, I guess, you know, just having in previously, we'd been talking about, you know, people who might want to look at taking part in research studies. This is, I guess, the sobering other side of it, but maybe also why we do research studies, because if we had just gone on and said, oh, look, this uh, target that you've, you've described, TIGIT, if that looks really promising, why don't we just start using TIGIT drugs? And well, the answer, the answer is in this study that we can't just start using new drugs if we don't know that they work and they have to go through a process. And sometimes we win, like the first study that you mentioned, Adagrasib for KRAS 
And sometimes we don't win, like this tiragolumab in small cell lung cancer. Absolutely. And, and sometimes we don't know. We we get promising results, but we have to confirm them, like like Shaquille's study with FT. I'm just going to call it FT. I think there should be a prize for people listening to this if you can actually remember and pronounce correctly the name of some of these drugs. Tiragolumab, FT, Lagimod, Alpha. <laughs> and um, I won't even ask people to say what TIGIT stands for. Um, yes. <laughs> if, for those, for those who, who want to geek out on this, it's, it's T-cell immunoreceptor with immunoglobulin and ITIM domains. Say that <laughs> 10 times over. <laughs> um, so, okay, so TIGIT in small cell lung cancer doesn't work, but this drug you know, is still being tested in, in non-small cell lung cancer. And we don't, I guess we don't have the results of those studies yet, but it's also being tested, I think, in uh, esophag esophageal cancer. So I guess we wait, wait to see. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so moving on. So adagrasib for KRAS G12C is a, is a yes. The FD for in the, this LAG3 drug combining with immunotherapy is a promising maybe. The tiragolimab is uh, in small cell lung cancer is, is a no. And Shaquille, you and I sort of uh, have this study that we, we were chatting about before recording this that you're going to talk about, which was my favorite one of the whole, whole program, but it was a little study. It really was. And I think what makes this really interesting is all of the molecular stuff that goes behind the scenes to try to make drugs that we already know or drugs that targeted mutations that we already are aware of, but try to tinker with it a bit to make it more effective and less toxic. And this is sort of where we are going now. It's amazing how much we can understand with the you know, organic chemistry and the molecular biology to try to make these drugs better. And this is one that is going to be very easy to pronounce. It's CLN081. So it doesn't even have a name yet, but I'm sure they're going to make that much more confusing. And this it targets uh, a mutation that we already are aware of in the EGFR protein. So, you know, a lot of us are aware of a mutation in EGFR, for example, in different parts, exon 19 or exon 21, which uh, allows us to treat these patients with very good oral treatments that can last years. But it's always been known that there is a portion of that gene in the EGFR gene that if you have a mutation within it, the treatments that we generally use to treat EGFR mutations like osimertinib or otherwise called Tegriso or afatinib or uh, some other medications don't work as well. And as people did more research and understood what the cause was, it turns out that in this small region called exon 20, if you have some mutations, it inherently means that you are resistant to the treatments that we actually uh, give for other EGFR mutations. And so lately in the last two to three years, a lot of data and uh, research has gone into trying to target these EGFR mutations or in exon 20 that are inherently resistant to standard of care. And you know, some drugs have been developed and this one has been developed to actually be more efficacious uh, and less toxic than the treatments that we currently have, although we do not have access to, have been proven to work. And so what they did was this was actually a dose finding study where they took a, this new drug called CLN081 
that targets Exxon 20 EGFR-resistant mutations, and they gave it to them at several doses to make sure which is the best dose to use that is not too toxic and how much it works. And it seems as though a dosing between 100 and 150 milligrams twice a day seemed to have worked. But what's more interesting is that the data would suggest that in this patient population that had had previous oral treatments for EGFR, related lung cancer, and who had previously had chemotherapy. And in fact, about a quarter of these patients had had more than three previous treatments for lung cancer, that these patients actually uh, had a good response rate when they received this medication. And in fact, the response rate was somewhere on the order, I think, of like 37% or 38% uh, for shrinkage of tumor. But not only that, it was an impressive 96% of patients whose cancer was actually stable uh, or shrinking, which is pretty impressive. And what I found really exciting about this is that they not only looked at exon 20, they actually looked to see, well, within that region of exon 20, there can be multiple mutations that you know, are resistant to regular treatments. And they found that this drug actually was very effective regardless of what mutation you had. And guess what? Even if you had a mutation in exon 20, exon 19, or exon 21, this drug was effective. So this might be a silver bullet for EGFR-mutated lung cancers. And I thought it was a very, very exquisitely presented and designed study. So this uh, group that you're describing, Shaquille, with this very specific EGFR exon 20 mutations, very very rare. And, you know, the three of us who specialize in lung cancer, as a lot of our life is seeing people with lung cancer, probably between the three of us, we can count the number of patients who have this specific mutation, maybe on one hand. So this isn't necessarily applicable to a whole lot of people listening. But uh, in my experience, and I'd be interested in in your thoughts on this, maybe both of you, is, is that the current drugs that are being developed for for this EGFR exon 20 subgroup, a small amount of people, but they're quite difficult. They're, they're quite hard drugs to take. They have more side effects than some of the other drugs we're used to using. And the thing that really caught my eye about this CLN081 drug was that the side effects looked a lot less. So I guess my when I am trying to help someone with lung cancer with a, a medication, I'm, I'm going to think, I'm thinking very simplistically, is this going to help you live longer? And is this going to help you live better? And I wonder what your thoughts are, because my initial sense is this, this, this drug might not make people live longer than some of the other EGFR exon 20 drugs. All of them will help people live longer. This one maybe not any more so or less so, but it might make them live better. Totally, I agree. So in terms of the the toxicity, obviously in this study they were trying to figure out which dose would be the maximum tolerated dose, which sounds you know kind of mean, but the whole point is to give a higher dose to be effective. And they found that you know yes, as you gave more drug, the more toxic you came, but really the patients who got really high grade toxicities in 
all treatment arms were relatively low. And with the medications that we currently have for EGFR, maybe not so much Tegriso, but the older drugs that we use to treat these exon 20 mutations, diarrhea, rash, problems with the fingernails, fatigue were huge issues. And looking at this data, it does suggest that the medication is very well tolerated. And so they've essentially personalized a personalized medication. So they've engineered this to be more effective and less toxic, increasing the so-called therapeutic window, which is actually quite impressive. You know, there's a lot of smart people out there. <laughs> yes, you'll, you'll, have to explain, you'll have to explain what you mean there with therapeutic window. Okay, so I think the way to sort of describe therapeutic window is, can we get that sweet spot where we can kill the cancer cells and not make the patients too sick. Now, an ideal drug would be that you give it at a dose that gives zero side effects, but 100% tumor kill. Now, that would be in a utopian society, and we'd never pay taxes, and we'd all live a million years and be healthy for that. But in reality, I think what it is, is that we have to understand there's always a give and take. You know, we can kill 100% of the cancer cells, but we'll kill the patient while we're doing it. Or we can give no toxicity that have no efficacy. What we want is that window to be large, saying that you can hit a drug dose somewhere within that window that minimizes toxicity, but maximizes tumor cell death. And as we're getting more intricate with understanding how the biochemistry works or the science works, we can engineer drugs that hit only those cells that maybe have the mutation and leave the rest of the normal cells in the body alone. So that's sort of what the therapeutic window means. I, I, I want to come up with a Matt Damon quote here from, uh, did you watch the, was it The Martian? Is that the movie with Matt Damon? When he go, grew the potatoes? When on, he grows the yeah. potatoes yes. and, uh, to survive. And, he's, and he's, he, he has some quote, I'll, I don't think it's repeatable in public, but <laughs> the idea of using science to solve a problem, but he's got a much more, snappy, slightly, uh, um, you know, over 18 language way of saying it. But science, uh, yes. science is putting these answers for these, these new drugs, which are either better than what we've got or safer than what we've got or more tolerable than what we've got. Right, I, listen, I, I think we've been chatting for long enough and uh, otherwise we're gonna, we're gonna confuse ourselves with all of the different drug names. But let's just review these four takeaways if I've got it right. So for KRAS G12C, which is, you know, a good number of people, maybe 12 to 15% of lung cancer patients. And remember, lung cancer is 30,000 cases a year in Canada. So this is going to be a few thousand people. Uh, Adagrasib looks like a really promising drug. And my money is that this will make it to the market and we'll be prescribing this. The LAG3 drug, FD, combining with immunotherapy, really novel approach. Lots of these combinations look really good. And this one looks promising. But not ready for prime time. Uh, the skyscraper study with this TIGIT approach in small cell lung cancer, an important study to do, but didn't work. But we learned that, so that's important. And then this last one, CLN081, for this very small, rare subtype of lung cancer, but looks like it's effective and manageable. Are there any other burning things that that came out the, the big the big overall conference headlines came from sort of breast cancer and, and colon cancer updates not not so much lung cancer but andrea any any final thoughts on on the conference 
Um, I mean, overall, it was just exciting to see some of the newer drugs coming down the pipeline, things to look forward to in the, in the future. I think a lot of early early phase studies that were, were presented uh, this time around, but that just gives us a lot to look forward to going forwards when some of the kind of later phase studies looking at these new agents or new combinations are, are going to be presented down the road. So I think a lot to look forward to in lung cancer. It's probably my takeaway. Great. And Shaquille? No, I think the bigger thing that's sort of coming out, and we sort of discussed this before, is that, you know, currently the patients who can have surgery for their lung cancers, the standard of care is to get surgery and then some treatment afterwards. I think the plan and the the goal now is to actually try to make that better and maybe giving patients these treatments before they have surgery to try to increase their outcomes and prevent the risk of these cancers coming back after surgery. So I think that's where we're going to see a lot of big things in the next coming months. Uh, which is uh, what might be the topic for your next talk. Yeah, well, I I think you say that. So yeah, so immunotherapy, either before or after surgery, has been a hot topic from ASCO last year and from other conferences early this year. Not not so much new information from ASCO this year, which is why we haven't talked about it, but it will be the subject of an upcoming Lung Cancer Voices podcast, this issue of using immunotherapy around, uh, around surgery. Well, listen, Dr. Andrea Fung, Dr. Shaquille Kassam, say two of the emerging lung cancer leaders in Canada, or maybe not emerging, maybe, you, you, you know, that sort of sounds a bit <laughs> or, already among our leader, leading lung cancer physicians in the country. Thank you for, for the time you've, you've uh, given me. And as always, to people listening to this, if you've heard anything that is pertinent to, to you, or, or your journey with lung cancer, please look at the lungcancercanada.ca website if you want to find more information about us or through our patient guides or resources, or if there's something specific to your, your lung cancer care, do reach out to your, to your healthcare team. Uh, and otherwise, um, please come back for the next podcast. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Bye. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like, and follow us on Facebook at LungCan, on Twitter at LungCancer underscore Can, and on Instagram at LungCancerCanada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at LungCancerCanada.ca.